Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Well, well, good morning. This is Kevin L. Jackson, host of Digital Transformers with Kelly Barner from Dial P for Procurement with the Supply Chain Now Thursday live stream. <laughs> you were looking for Scott and Greg, weren't you? Hey, Kelly, I think we got him. How you doing today? <laughs> Joke's on you guys. Maybe we'll maybe we'll see if we can compete with their dynamic. Kevin and I make quite a duo. Uh, but yeah, thank you so much, everybody who's joined us. I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah, like I said, it used, you know, old school is Kelly and Regis, and then it's Kelly and Ryan, and now it's Kelly and Kevin. Wow, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna take the world by storm. So, That's right. Can't uh, go live without a Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> so Kelly and I are trying something new. Uh, it's a sort of a brainstorm we, we came up with called Thursday's Futures. And this is the opportunity for Kelly and I to pontificate on the future of digital business. But more important than that, we want to find out what you think is going to happen. Is there a new normal in the future for us? Will people get back to those hour-long commutes to tiny cubicles and nondescript buildings downtown? Or, or will they all revolt and refuse to work in anything but PJs on the couch? What immediately comes to your mind, eh, Kelly? I think this is actually a really interesting question. You know, because there were good things about being home and there were not so good things about being home. Sweatpants probably more on the good end. Uh, not being able to fit back into normal clothing, less good. You know, but I think what I've enjoyed in any of the conversations that I've had with people about this is, so why? Mm -hmm. Right? Because everybody has very different personal drivers for whether they want to go back, whether they want to stay home. Some people have made crazy life choices during this time. So regardless of what the future is from this Thursday going forward, I know it's going to be interesting. Yeah, I know one of the things I've really gotten into, this is a good thing, uh, a habit of exercising at a particular time because I don't you know, I'm not on the interstate trying to get home. That's but, right. Um, uh, today's show, we're going to tackle the future of diversity in the tech industry with the director of Fun Black Tech, Joshua Miller. He's the CEO of CNI Studios. But before we get to that, I'd like to uh, welcome some of our listeners. I'm looking at... Uh, Kyle Garcia, he's uh, apparently he won't be, he did not joining us live, but he felt so compelled to tell Scott he wouldn't be here. <laughs> Guess what? We fooled Kyle, didn't we? <laughs> and uh, good morning from Georgia. That's uh, Sarita Sins. Thank you very much for joining us. And Peter, Peter Bollet, he is a regular. Hey, Peter. Scott's not here today, but thanks for joining us. I'd like to hear some of- Wait a minute, Kevin. I got to throw a flag on this. It's not Peter Bollet. It's Peter Bollet all night and all day. Oh, yeah. Right? <laughs> the nicknames. We got to hit the nicknames. Scott will be mad at us. Got to get that right. Absolutely. 
So uh, thanks. Looking forward to, to your comments also, uh, Peter. So uh, with that, I'd like to um, I'd like to welcome Joshua to the show. Hey, how's it going? So hi, Joshua. Welcome to uh, Thursday's Futures. Before before we get start talking about Black technology entrepreneurs, can you tell us a little bit? about you and, and CNI Studios? Yeah, uh, thanks for having me, guys. It's uh, great to be here. Um, yeah, CNI Studios has uh, just been my baby. Uh, we started this thing in Washington, D.C. in 2006. Um, over, I've got a really awesome team uh, that supports me and everything that we do. Since then, the studio's in New York City and Tribeca and downtown Los Angeles and in South Florida. So it's really grown, which has been awesome. And and um, we kind of work on a bunch of things. Uh, and I just, I'm really addicted to growing businesses and helping businesses uh, scale, uh, expand, and elevate. And so uh, we really come alongside of businesses and help them grow. Um, and so that's kind of been uh, my passion uh, with CNI Studios. And um, and we've been doing it for such a long time. Uh, but every day to us, we're we're in that place with everyone that I work with where it just doesn't feel like work. So every day is pretty awesome for us. Wow, when you're doing something that work that doesn't feel like work, that's sort of the holy grail, isn't it? It, it really is. <laughs> it, it's really, it's really weird. I mean, when I was younger, I mean, the whole you like, I filmmaking is in my background, so it's just the idea that you could get paid to do this was like always very strange. Uh, now every day, that's what I do, and uh, it's it, you know sometimes you forget that that like. Yeah, you know, you're here. So I don't know. It's one of the coolest things. It's the coolest job uh, for me, at least. Is this something you wanted to do since you were a little boy dreaming about being behind the camera and, and telling stories? Um, I don't, you know, I, I will say this. Ever since I was very young, I would, you know, look at, you know, cameras. I was the kid that was always breaking my parents' television and cars <laughs> to try to figure out how it worked. So cameras were always very uh, exciting uh, to me. Young. And then figuring out you know, how to get one and then you could shoot stuff with your friends. I, that was always interesting to me, the ability to tell stories in that way. I have always been interested in whether I was four-year-olds or eight or eight-year-old or my parents. You know, Everyone was really addicted to when the TV was on, people were paying attention. People were listening, people were watching. Uh, the TV had the attention and um, I don't know. That stuck with me. And so uh, now we've made it, you know, just a career and just being able to tell people stories. And I really feel like that's the way that people actually identify with stuff um, rather than challenging them face to face. Now, Joshua, just to help us a little bit, understand a little bit more about you and CNI Studios. Is there a specific type of genre that you would say that your content is in? Is it documentary, entertainment, how do you tend to describe the content that you produce? Man, it really ranges, um, you know, so it can be on the corporate side. I think there's a corporate side and then there's like a, you know, a creative content side. On the corporate side, I mean, we, we dabble in so many different businesses. We're kind of addicted to anyone that's like, you know, hey, Josh, I want to scale this or this isn't doing what I want it to do. What we, what my team works so good at is, we are constantly thinking and brainstorming of creative ways to achieve that goal. So that could be in the healthcare space. It could be in politics. It could be, um, you know, law firms. I mean, it do, I mean, products, you name it. But 
uh, it's like I, we call ourselves uh, an idea agency. Um, so it's kind of a mix of an advertising agency, but also a production company. But what we do best is come up with ideas that we know we can execute on. And so in the corporate space, we do that quite a bit. Um, hey, I want to take my product to this market and we're not here. I wish we could hit this demo, but we're not. We're only hitting this demo. We love that and this problem solving. So that's just so that happens in every industry. So I hate to be that guy that's like, I like all music, but, um, uh, but we really do dabble in a bunch of different industries. On the creative side, on the, on the content side, it's really started to move like long format really started to become a thing like podcasts like this one, um, uh, documentaries, docuseries, um, uh, feature films and television shows. So that's on the other side of it, too, um, for larger clients like hotel chains that want to get their message out in a unique way. So we also do that too. So uh, we really get, every day feels different here. You know, one day, one day we're shooting, uh, you know, a documentary and the, the next day we're shooting a commercial for target. And then, you know, the next day we're helping run ads and build a brand for, you know, a fashion client. It, it all ranges, but it, 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 it's really cool because it keeps us on our toes. So um, it's pretty fun. You guys have an amazing team, though, because when I think about a couple of the things that you mentioned, they're incredibly hard things to do. Creativity yeah. is exhausting, yeah. right? It's yeah. it's not natural. It's exhausting. Yes. And achieving scale yeah. is brutal. So your team must be absolutely incredible to handle all of that and enjoy it at the same time. Well, you have to have the, the right amount of crazy, right? So, you know, measuring cup. Oh, yeah. it's, too much. it's a certain amount. You can't go above <laughs> Um, but no, I, the team is interesting because you have to really love this. Like if you don't love the entertainment industry, it will eat you alive. And so you have to, the team is, is finding the right people. So we've had so many challenges in finding the right people. Um, but what, but yeah, I mean the scale, the trying to be able to do it on such a, the scale, you know, for us, it's, it's global. You know, we got back from a shoot that was in Europe during COVID, you know, um, wow. and so you have to be able to, you know, you know, we work with a team that, I mean, one of our core values is do the impossible because all of our clients, all of them are, you know, if you ask them when they want something, it's always yesterday. It's always <laughs> tomorrow or can you do it now? So we've had to really adapt and find people that are uh, diverse, have different perspectives from us, but we all kind of share the same level of, you know, our work ethic um, and our commitment to quality. So, but I, I do agree with you, creative, it's not easy work. It's not that we just sit back and we're like, oh, let the ideas come to me. No, if, uh, you know, you really, we we, all, we also don't call ourselves creatives here. We call ourselves professionals. Uh, creatives need to be inspired to work. Uh, the professional, mm, oh, interesting. professionals can work any time of day, any time of night. We don't need to, we don't need to have all the, the candles and the rock. <laughs> the, the muse. No, professionals can wow. create because we're professionals. Uh, creatives need to be inspired. Uh, inspiration certainly helps, but you know, you need, a, you when you need something done really well, it's time to call a pro. You know, I've never really heard it put that way, but it, it makes a lot of sense. Um, and, and I tell you, uh, Josh, I've, been really scheming to, to have you on my show since I kind of met you in Miami. Yeah, on yeah. To save the world set. I mean, I, I saw you working hard, but you were so busy, I never got a chance to actually talk to you. It was your wife, Amy, that, that told me about Fun Black Tech and really got me going 
Uh, and really, I, I guess she inspired me. Maybe I'm not a, a professional, but how is she doing? <laughs> I mean, she's doing great. Like all things, she is the megaphone uh, to the studio. And just like that, I'm usually busy on some set somewhere. And Amy's always the person to say, hold on, you you, you actually need to meet Josh. Or Josh would love to talk. I would love to talk to so many people, I, but I'm, we're always doing so much stuff. But no, Amy is literally the glue between, uh, just like a lot of people on the team, but she's a glue. Uh, for a bunch of different productions that we do um, mm -hmm. and um, and our executive team. But, you know, they're, just, they're so good at that kind of stuff. So she's doing great. She's been producing, I mean, so much stuff. Uh, Fun Black Tech that you mentioned, she's one of the producers on that and flying us to all these different places, finding locations to fit them. That's the, you know, everyone thinks it's fun to make this. It is it is brutal. Uh, <laughs> there's so much hard work. <laughs> I, I tell people on, on social media, the studio looks so fun and it looks inspirational and it looks like we have a blast and that's true. But what's not on social media is the, just the gut wrenching stress and the amount of work, the 2 AM, 3 AM just working and just to hit a goal that's not on there. And, um, and so, like I said, you gotta really love it. Um, but no, she does a great job and I'm, I'm so thankful that she met you and, um, <laughs> no, me too. She, there, was, there were so many people there, but she was like, "You gotta meet Josh. You gotta meet Kevin." <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, "Okay." Like it's like the next day, I was like, "Did you meet him?" I'm like, "No." I'm about to send her another gift. Thank you. But last <laughs> week, I tell you, you were working hard there down in Miami. You didn't need that sun to be sweating because I saw you running up here and running back there. And yeah. uh, last week. They had their premiere. So uh, from a director's point of view, how do you feel? I had part one uh, last week and, and part two this week. Are you, uh, is there a smile on your face or what? <laughs> and, and, well, I, I would say this. It's really cool every time that we work on something as a team and it gets released. I don't think people, people always say like, oh, this is a really bad movie. Everyone has seen bad movies, but it's really tough for to be in the industry and say something's bad because you know the um, the amount of drama and headache that went to making that bad. <laughs> so I will say, like, it's a it's a big congratulations to. I mean, some films get done and they stop and they never come to light. So the fact that it's created and it's done and it got released is cool. It's always cool to see our work out there. Um, mm -hmm. I haven't had the chance to actually watch it. If we're being totally <laughs> honest, uh, we have been on. We have been do. We have been in the process of putting Fun Black Tech's first, uh, um, you know, trailer together. So I haven't mm -hmm. had a moment till. Everyone's like, "Have you seen this movie? Have seen that?" I'm like, I haven't seen anything. Um, but, <laughs> but no, it's great to see anything that we work on. So many people worked on that really, really hard for those four days. Um, and I'll tell a little secret is uh, the crew here calls that show four days to kill CNI. <laughs> <laughs> Not because of Kevin, though, right? No. Kevin behaved, no, no, right? Was, okay. It was just you know, 16, 20 hour days for four days. We were, <laughs> it was, it was, we were ready. It was great when we got to sleep after that. Yeah. So for our audience, four days to save the world. You can catch it on Apple TV. It's on Android. Um, it's also on Roku um, and, and online. So uh, look for Four Days to Save the World. You can see some of uh, Joshua's work. <laughs> so, so Joshua, Fun Black Tech, how did that actually get started? I tell you, when I heard about that, it was like, 
what took so long? <laughs> oh man, yeah. Um, I, I I think I can't remember. Uh, Sarah would know. Um, but uh, I think it was like 2018 or 2017 or something like that. We were working with Magic Leap, um, and we were doing a bunch of all their creative and a bunch of other stuff. We met a lot of really great people there. The CEO and founder of Magic Magic Leap, uh, Roni. We just, I don't know, man, we just were just kindred spirits and we worked on so many projects there. Um, and um, and since then, he appointed a new CEO and he's been working on other stuff. And we just reconnected and he was like, I was like, what are you doing? And and um, he was just talking about he came back from this conference and he's just a really if you don't know, Ron, he's like a, just a really cool dude. Like he's got such a good heart. Um, and he was like, I was at this conference, Josh, and he was just kind of upset. I was like, what's going on? He's like, Ooh. I was at this conference. There was just like five hundred CEOs, all of them were white. There was one woman and uh, and he was just bothered. And I was like, that's crazy. And he was like, it's weird that the tech space acts like it's still caught up in the 1800s. And that like stuck with me because I just think about like issues in our world, especially how divided everything is right now. People don't like, I'll say this, like Amy's parents, like um, Mm -hmm. they used to eat meat and people there you know some of amy's sisters are like you guys should be vegans you should be vegetarians and they all these conversations years and years and years you should try to convince them it never worked they watched one documentary and like the next day they were like we're gonna be vegetarians now um that stuck with me it's like the power of media so every time i hear stuff like roni's like he mentioned i think how do you how do you change something i you know i you know my parents aren't rich you know i don't have i don't have money like that so you think like you can't really do anything but, but for us, like the ability to tell a story um, is huge. So he said that. And I was like, a few meetings later, I was like, yo, we have to make this into a documentary. Now it's been turned into a docu-series. Um, but um, it's just about how can we, uh, how, why is this a problem? Like, why, ha- like, if you think about black and brown people in sports, the NBA, the NFL, if you think mm-hmm. government, Kamala Harris, you know, Barack Obama, if you think about the music industry, if you think about all these industries, you see black, brown people, women, just artists have just progressed. Then you get to the tech industry in Silicon Valley, and it's in the, and you have to be two things to be in that industry. And you have to be a man and you have to be white. Wow. Um, and it is shocking to me that that's how it is. So that kind of that kind of made us continue to think like, well, what is that? Do black people not have good ideas. Do women not know anything about tech? Um, all those things aren't true. So it's like, well, why is it this happening? And none none of us have an answer. So it's like, all right, we're going to go on this journey. And, um, and we've got to talk to some of the most brilliant minds, in my opinion, uh, that I've able to meet yours included, Kevin, and sit sit down with some people and interview them and just find out why, because at the end of the day, there is no good answer. So if there isn't a good answer, then we should just fund black tech. (laughs) <laughs> or like the, just the idea uh, that uh, and stuff that we've heard on this journey has just right. been kind of crazy. But we think honestly, instead of getting up on like a megaphone and trying to tell people, hey, this is what you need to do or writing a blog. We think people hear best when they're not challenged by other people. Like if you're watching a film, uh, uh, you know, you feel like you're co- and you feel impacted by that film you feel like you came up with that yourself. Um, You don't feel like someone, you know, someone's arguing with you about politics and you're like, okay, I believe you. But it's kind of these moments when you're by yourself, taking something in, watching something and you feel something. 
uh, is where I think change is. And so our whole mission is like, can we get people to see this different world and feel something different? Uh, because I do think that the majority of people are good. I don't think sometimes they know what to do or how to express themselves. But I do think that when people are, when they, when people hear certain things, they're like compelled to be better. Um, so uh, that's kind of our methodology behind this thing. Wow. Now, given that this is an interview based documentary, it's not like you're writing a script. I mean, you are, I'm sure, carefully selecting the people that you bring in. You have some sense of what their expertise is or what their perspective might be. But what is the process for you like trying to have this big picture vision, but then bring in people without knowing precisely in advance what they're going to say, but sort of making sure that the whole idea comes together into one cohesive whole? Yeah, I mean, that's, a, that's you just asked the million dollar question. Um, for us, like I've got, you know, uh, Beth Bryant is one of our producers. Sarah Dreyer is one of our producers. Amy, of course, and I just, I just have, and, and obviously Roni. Mm -hmm. We've just been able to. Our whole methodology has just been like, I think we need to wing it, and we're trying to put together outlines and figure out how we should do it. We just wanted to go talk to people and just hear their stories. Some people we thought like these are the questions that I want to ask Kevin. These are the questions that I want to ask John Amici. Um, but and a lot of times I want to ask them the same question to see and the just that alone um, asking everyone about what the role black women play in tech. I mean, every answer is different. Uh, it, it, and so that is really interesting to us. So we just kind of went out, our, our goal was go out on a fact finding mission, be prepared, but don't be prepared, save room for magic to happen. Um, and every interview, I mean, I've had my jaw drop just, <laughs> and I think it's going somewhere. And then someone says something different and you know, and you think you know about society and what people have gone, your jaw, my jaw just drops every interview. I've done about 15 of them now, some international, some here, all across America. Um, and, but I think the, 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 the real challenge is when I hand it over to uh, my two brilliant editors, uh, Kai Etrick and, and Andres Kalana, I basically just say, hey guys here, <laughs> this is like mounds of data that we have collected and they start to sift through and find these moments. And once we start doing that, I th that's when we really start building the shows. And I think it's more about what do we need to collect? But I think the magic is in the editing process when we, that's when we start to connect it up. So for me, I get to have uh, a lot of fun when I get to interview people and ask questions and just kind of get to know them. If mm -hmm. you get to know people and ask questions, they, they share. People want to share their knowledge, share what they've been through. Um, and then we have the hard work when we come in and stare at uh, editing screens for hours and hours. Now, I don't want to make you do a spoiler alert, but are there any moments so far from these interviews that either really stand out in your mind as being particularly impactful or surprising or potentially even changed the narrative arc that the docuseries will end up taking? Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot. Um, like we... I mean, I, like I said, every interview has been absolutely mind blowing. I do think that when you, there's been a lot of conversations with, um, yeah, like I have a, like CNI is really diverse. Like my executive team is like, you know, it's me, my brother runs our, the whole company. Um, and then we have two uh, executives, Sarah and Beth that I mentioned. So we're super diverse. Like um, we have a lot of women in leadership. 
seeing that I think changed the whole documentary. Like it was like, yo, fun black tech. And then it was like, okay, let's talk about black women. All right, let's talk about women. Then we start, let's talk about the Asian community. And we're like, hold up, what? So it's really opened up so much that I didn't really see at first. Um, and um, and I think that's been pretty, and I think that's been really unique in the, in like, but hearing, I think, hearing how, I think quite frankly, the thing that has struck me the most is like hearing how black women are viewed in tech, but also just society at, at large. It's probably been one of the craziest things that I've ever, I, I've ever like thought about and heard. And we were just, I think, I, I, I don't, man, I wish uh, Sarah was here, but she would tell me, I was just meeting with someone, but we're just talking about the role. Like you wouldn't hear about George Floyd if it wasn't for a black woman, you know, it was a black woman that shot that video. It was a black woman that was like introduced to tech. It's not her first video. She didn't just get an iPhone. It's like, how do I use this? Oh God, what's happening? She's super involved in tech and content creation and media and into the tech industry. If had it not been for her, there is none of this corporate diversity, you know, Netflix putting up, you know, all this stuff. There's none of that, man. So I feel like that, you know, the role of black women that they play in the society, I think has been, I say black women, but I'm also talking about women in general because I really feel like, I mean, women get the, the shit into the stick uh, in America and, and and obviously in the tech industry, like you're really good to buy our products and women control the household income, period. Like we will control women. We will control what you eat, what you sleep on. Like they, women control it. But don't you dare try to start a company. Like, don't you dare try to ask for funding. You can't do that. But so it's been interesting. To, it's been interesting to like hear that. And um, and um, so uh, uh, I think that's been the thing that's been the most eye opening. Wow. So one of the things I, I wanted to highlight, I mean, you've talked about it, that this is not a an American thing. Right. Yeah. Um, this is an international thing. And I want to just shout out uh, Shannon from uh, Canada. I wanted to uh, invite you to. Uh, you know, maybe uh, comment in the stream, you know, is this the same viewpoint uh, from uh, north of the border? And uh, a goodie says, doing what you love is awesome. And that's, uh, that's, that's, uh, that's absolutely true. Um, so I, the uh, other thing is having the right amount of crazy. I'm going to have to <laughs> you have to uh, use that, you know. How do you put that on your resume? You know, I have the right amount of, of crazy to work. work yeah. I think <laughs> it, it's, it's, it sounds wild, but it's actually quantifiable. It's like the right amount of crazy is I do what I say I'm going to do, and that's really it. Like, because that means that like I'm stubborn enough to my word means something. And I'm stubborn enough to make sure I can do whatever I'm going to, you know, I'm going to make it happen. Um, and so that's kind of how, the methodology for our studio and myself personally. you got to have a little bit of like, no, but can't we, can't we do it at 3 a.m.? Like, you know, like, no, we don't want to, but can we? Like, and once you, once you take yourself to that kind of crazy, um, I think that can help you, especially in this industry where you get a lot of notes and a lot of changes, especially when we're working, like we're working with a news client right now, you get a lot of that stuff last minute. It comes in. Most of the, our clients are doing a job, are do, running companies. So when they're ready to work on or give you notes on your thing, 
it's eight o'clock, nine o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night. That's what made us scale to LA, to be quite honest. How can we go? How can we have a team in LA that now I have more hours? Time zones, yeah. And so oh. that's been helpful. There's actually only like four hours out of the day where C and I can't operate in between the hours of two and six. That's it. But any other time, like we're in full swing. So, um, uh, but yeah, that's been uh, that's been a huge help for us. But I don't know. I, you have to. You, 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 I don't know. You just got to keep yourself fresh and surround yourself with some really great people. But I think the biggest thing for us is having a team that feels the same goals as you. Mm. Um, that's been hard, and it's been hard through the through the pandemic. It's been hard through some of the the uh, political woes. We've lost some people, gained some great people. But yeah, you got to have a team that is on that sees the same thing. Uh, that's uh, kind of crucial, and that so- makes you a little crazy. So it's about having that kindred spirit on the team. Yeah, I mean, because that's the stuff that because you're fighting for each other. Uh, mm. You know, you fight for each other. There's a deadline, of course. There's a client, but you're really fighting for each other, and you know, and keeping your word and your art. And so, uh, the kindred spirit's a big deal. So Kelly, yesterday you had a really interesting question to ask Joshua. I do. So Joshua, I'm from the procurement space. I've I've worked in the space for almost 20 years. Um, I can tell you from my very earliest days as a practitioner, supplier diversity is not new. But in 2020, because of George Floyd and Black Lives Matter and all of the movement and the exposure and the attention that was drawn, we sort of ratcheted to the next level of urgency around these programs. Now, you might think on the surface, that's just flat out good news. But I've been around. And I guess my concern is, For companies that actually want to make a difference around the diversity of the people that work and are supported by their supply base, how can they make sure that what they're doing goes beyond, first of all, just patting themselves on the back? And second of all, saying, oh, for this month, I'm going to change my corporate logo to black. And then for this month, I'm going to make it a rainbow. And doesn't that make me so fabulous? Listen. Oh, that's good. Right. How many jobs did you create? How many real hard conversations did you have? You know, either from the interviews from the fun black tech documentary or from your own personal experience. Can you speak to the procurement community, speak to the people that have been tasked with actually driving meaningful change around the diversity of ownership and workforce and board membership in corporations and how we can make sure that this is not sort of a flash moment in time, how this is actually a a pivot that we're able to sustain. Yeah. I mean, that's just everything that I talk about on a daily basis. I mean, I, when you, when I, after George Floyd, I saw everything that you were saying, you know, the logos, everyone had their statement. It was almost like, if you don't have a statement, there's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> they, they said something, oh, put ours up. What are we saying? I feel, yeah. like, um, I feel like that's a question that I do ask to people. No one's asked me, so thank you, Kelly. Uh, oh, you're welcome. I'm lucky to be the first. Yeah, I, uh, I think a lot of companies have put out these statements and changed their logos, um, I think just to uh, make sure they check the box. Uh, we did it. Um, you know, make sure we have the whatever number is okay of, uh, you know, minority, you know, uh, staff members or what, I think a lot of people do stuff just to check the, the, the box, check you the know, box. Yeah. but I do think some companies on the other side are like really sitting back and saying, this is not cool. 
Um, we and some, uh, you know, that self-reflection, I think, um, you know, is a is a big deal. Here's what I think, though, about uh, that first group of companies. It's like people can see through that lip service. We can see through it. Um, and I think employees of a company can feel it, too. So I think the data really matters. You can't say women matter if not a lot of women work there. No women are in uh, executive level positions. Can't really figure out the last time a woman was promoted. Um, you could say that out front, but I think the data really matters. I also think that companies are really missing a big key. It's like people obviously need money to operate, but that's not why they operate. And so you will have employees of some of these larger conglomerates People want to be attached to something. People want to be a part of something. So I think there's a real missed opportunity to say, you know, for these larger companies to say, hey, I think black people matter, gay people matter, um, women matter, but we're not going to stop there. This is what we're going to do about it. I think if you did that, you would have this outpouring of support, love and commitment from your staff that you haven't seen before. But I think the biggest thing is if you're really doing it like, like Ben and Jerry's, they're always out front first. Like you could tell it's like who they are. It's a part of their company. They're not just doing it for anybody else. Um, and so I think like if you're doing that, you inherently, if you if we are more diverse, really diverse, if we're really looking out after people and different perspectives and backgrounds, your company will make more money, period. Mm. And I think and I think if people, if executives and board members really thought that, they see it as a hindrance. They see it as, I don't know, are we going to lose something? What do, what do you know? It's really about if you, if you, the more diverse people you have around you, the more your company can reach out to those uh, different, you know, uh, demographics that you weren't able to in the right way. And I see some of these things that come out like that Pepsi ad with Kendall Jenner and that comes to mind. And you're like, man, this is a, or like, you know, there's uh, these tech devices that don't work on black skin. It's like, man, you guys just didn't even have someone black or a woman in the room to test, to build. Like facial recognition. <laughs> yeah. You, you right. tested it on white people. It works great, but you never tested on anyone with dark skin. So it that facial recognition doesn't even work. It's like, and so I think if we, if you actually, if you actually do that, um, I think that it actually helps your company like, with the, your staff, I think it makes you more money, um, and I also it it, it holds it, it holds you to uh, a, a, like a moral, I think, uh, uh, and, and the accountability that I think some of these really large companies have to move the needle, um, and I think we're missing it. Like I think Apple and Google and um, you know and IBM, these they have a role to play in America. It's not just money. It's like you can really shape America with the moves that you make or the moves that you don't make. Right. Um, right. You'd say certain things are okay. Like when you really hire that new head coach, it should be on merit for, for sure. I don't ever want a directing job because, oh, that's the black guy and we need somebody. Um, no. I don't want the directing job because I'm the, I'm the best director for that gig. Um, mm -hmm. But also it looks really weird. It, it started to look really weird with the Oscars. And, you know, it's like, man, like no, no, nobody, <laughs> you know? <laughs> All right. And so I think, you have to really want it. Like if you don't want the diversity, if you if you don't really care what Muslim women go through, then, you know, you're just going to put up a thing. You're going to Black Lives Matter. Um, you, you know, you say, but if you really want it, um, you know, I think that you will charge your staff uh, 
uh, with why you want it. Mm-hmm. And that's got to come from the board down, CEO down, mm-hmm. not just like, hey, guys, if you could really throw in some people of color, that would be really awesome. Um, I'd be like, well, why do we want people of color? And, uh, and, and people of color like shape the way that we do quite a lot. Um, and so it would almost be specific, like, like why would we abandon the, 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 the voice of a woman? Why would we abandon the voice of a younger generation or older generation? Like, why wouldn't you want all that to be a part of your company? So um, right. I don't know. I, it, people change like when they want to change, right? So yeah. And the challenge, like we were saying before, is one of scale. Right. I mean, you you talk about these incredibly large corporations. They have tens of thousands of suppliers. And so the reality of saying, okay, we want, you know, X number or X percent or or this amount of the spend, you sort of by necessity have to go to things like, okay, who's certified? Yeah. But if you're even a relatively small to medium sized business, the time and the cost of getting certified. Right. And it's that's a reality. So I'm a woman owned business. I'm not certified, therefore I do not count towards those metrics. So to me, if you're really trying to move the needle, it's okay, big company, you have legal people like stacked in hallways. How many deserving companies did you help get certified this year? To me, that's when you focus on the why, it's less about, oh, how fabulous does my logo look in this month's color palette? It's more about what are the stories that I can tell about the impact that I made? The number may be smaller, but that's, in, at least in my opinion, how we actually start. Uh, yeah, to, you're, spot, to you're spot on there. You're spot on there. And it's just got to be, and it, like, it's, it's just the data. The opportunities have to be there. Um, and if you, if you really want it, you'll do it. If you really want it, like, you will do it. If you don't, then it's just vanity and it, it'll be what it'll be. But, and I think you have both people on both sides. I do think you have big companies that don't care. And I do think you have some companies that are just like, man, we need to, like, think about this and adapt and change. And, and I think, um, and, uh, and I also think there needs to be grace as people try to figure that out. Agreed. Um, Absolutely. Grace yeah. and benefit of the doubt and all of those things. I tell you, look what, look who we have on the other side <laughs> of the screen that you are resonating with. He's right. right. So, Scott, Always. deeds, not words. That's right? true. You really have to, you have to act. That's true. Um, He's spot on. I'm really, uh, I was really, you know, riveted when you were um, talking about the importance of diversity in in companies. There have been studies um, that prove that diverse staff, diverse uh, members in the C-suite are critical to improved revenue and improved profit. But the the other thing that those studies highlighted is that change, change management. Companies need to have different world views in order to react to change. And in the past, change has been slow. I mean, it took hundreds and hundreds of years for business to change. But in today's world, businesses change their business model like in minutes and seconds. And they create products for a marketplace of one via personalization. But um, if if that didn't change these companies' view of diversity, how do you expect the documentary to have any impact on diversity in, in the tech industry or in any industry? If, if, if 
money doesn't make a capitalist change, what will? Yeah, um, solid question. I think companies. Um, I mean, I think some. I think some companies. Um, I think they really. I mean, as as we've been on this journey with this documentary, we've talked mm-hmm. to so many different people um, that own their own companies, started their own companies, founded them. I think that for us, what we want from it, I mean, I, I, I mean, it's just the knowledge. Like I said, I think people are inherently good. When uh, Ava released a documentary called The Central Park Five, and um, obviously, I remember when The Central Park Five that actually happened to these these five. These five kids were sent to prison for this crime they did not commit. They just were released from prison, like, you know, I don't know, a couple years ago or something. Um, Ava released that documentary, and I had so many people come up to me and just say, oh, man, I saw that. I didn't even know this happened. Like, that's crazy. And it was kind of like, was, at first it was, like, upsetting because it was like, how did you not know this happened? Um, but I think the, the beautiful thing that documentary did is some people just actually don't know because it's not their world. And that's what I really agree with you. It was one of my favorite things that you said when we interviewed you is um, talking about worldviews. People only know what they know and it's a little hard for them to see something different. Um, so the beautiful thing that came out of Ava's documentary is people knew that these, this happened. Like it was, there was a world of people that not that they didn't agree with it. They just actually didn't know it happened. So there are people in the tech industry. There's people that talk to me, and I'm sure talk to you, Kevin, uh, and and probably you, Kelly, and say, "Oh, like has, uh, some, you know, the other day people say, hey, Josh, has anyone ever been racist to you? Uh, Kelly, is it hard to be a woman in the workplace? It's like, are you drunk? Like, um, <laughs> like absolutely, it is. everyone has a story. Yeah, but but people yeah. don't. People think that it doesn't hit them. Like, um, COVID's not real until it hits you personally, and you have suffered a loss, and then it becomes much more real for you. Um, but I think like companies have a there's a responsibility that I think companies can play in having people change. You got a lot of people in the Midwest. You have a lot of people that they they you know black people aren't everywhere. Haven't seen a gay person ever, so they don't. Their world is shaped around what they see. So you go put an Amazon headquarters in Idaho. You put an Apple headquarters, and you start to see those places get, get very diverse which impacts those communities worldview. And I think that's how you really start to shape communities and have people see something differently. Um, but until people are exposed to, you know, like, uh, I guess I'll use my life as an example. I was born in Alabama. I don't tell people that. I tell people I was, I was raised in DC. Alabama just has a connotation of all the things you think Alabama is. It is. <laughs> um, but, um, I didn't see I didn't see or know white people until I moved to my my dad. Thank God, saved our lives. Moved us to Washington D.C. Education. He's just one of the coolest dudes I know. Uh, but that's when I was in fifth grade, so I'm ten. I didn't really know white people until I was ten years old. So my idea of white people were that you were just the enemy. Like that's all that I saw. That's all I was around. Like I grew up in Birmingham and Montgomery and the bad parts, not the good parts. So my idea and what I saw was not positive ever. Um, and so when I came to uh, uh, DC, I remember being in school and be like, oh, these people are nice. Like, mom, they're, I don't, what do you, they're like very nice. This boy, he's like one of my good friends. And, you know, and like, but it took that environment shift. And I think it reverses the other way too, that you don't really, you have to really step out of yourselves. But companies 
have worked really hard to get to this place. If you think about Apple and all these large companies and IBM, they've worked to a place where it's like, we've got it, we made it, it's working. Why would we change anything? You know, like we work so hard. So why would we change our board members? Why would we change our seats? It's working. Changes can be very, very scary for people, um, especially to people who have made it. But I, I think that there's so much more opportunity for that is outside of money because I don't think it's money for some of these people. Our hope for the documentary is that people know that this is an issue. Uh, that is something that I feel like we should be embarrassed by as a country. And it's something that we need to change. And and we can change it. Like it is something that you can see and go, man, I don't think maybe we should we shouldn't be wrongfully imprisoning people that didn't do a crime. This is an opportunity for us to obviously do better here. Same thing in tech. Uh, tech should be realizing we're missing out on all these ideas. That means we're missing out on money. And then also we're missing out on making what our country should be for our kids and and what we think it can be. Like we're behind in so many different areas because we're, we're not elevated. I mean, if you close your eyes like and think about like, someone in Silicon Valley or an engineer, you just, we all think of the same white dude with the pencils. Like, and so I think like we need to change the narrative of what we think a woman is and what she can do and what a black guy can do. Like once we start changing that and shaping people's worldviews to say, no, it can be this. I think that will really change things, um, but it's got to come from a, it's tough because it's got to come from a standpoint of you uh, have to care and I think a lot of people think that's really not my problem, man. Someone else can go do that. And I think that mentality is what keeps us into uh, where we are. I think we've seen that public pressure does work. I think whether or not you are authentic in your message that Black Lives Matter, like the people that put that out, it is pretty astonishing that the NFL still said that. It's pretty astonishing that that message still went out. So I see it as uh, a... Uh, some of these, some of these companies, I see it as a disingenuous step, but still, I see it as like, okay, the fact that you did that was a big deal. Maybe we can get you to actually care about it next time. I don't know, but I see some of those things as a step in the right direction. So if people walk away from this documentary feeling like, wow, okay, I need, like, I'm a VC, like, I, I maybe, maybe we should think differently, and maybe you don't say that conversation to anybody else, but maybe the next time a black woman walks into your office talking about an idea, maybe you listen a little bit longer. And, uh, and and that that's, I guess, our goal. Um, obviously, we want people and these ideas to get funded. But I think listening and, and really hearing the heart of an issue, I think, is what we want the most. Well, and, and Joshua, you know, we we take our roles here at Supply Chain now very seriously, right? Just like you take your role very seriously. And so, you know, even for preparation in preparation for meeting with you today, I did my research. I watched some other interviews with you. And one of the points that I love that I think probably gets glossed over is you spoke about listening to understand. Yeah. Right. And it's sort of like the difference between listening and hearing. It's it's not even in the same yeah. ball field. Yeah. Right. It's completely different things. I hear that sound that you're making right now, but it's sort of like floating right. past me somewhere. It's not changing my day. If I hear you, that's a step better. But I think actively listening to understand with the goal being to, if I have to make you back up or say it again or give me another example, you know, when we think about the soft skills and the empathy that are going to be required in every single role in our society, from corporate leadership to individual contributor roles to people who are working in social and, and government type positions, listening to understand is so critical. Yeah. As someone who is constantly interviewing, 
Can you give us any, not to bring it down to steps, but can you give us any practical tips or guidance for people that regardless of what their work is or what their family situation is, are trying to improve their ability to listen, to understand? Yeah, we, we oh man, that fabulous question. We got to stop responding. And I think that's the thing. People listen just to see like, oh, you're talking about that. Well, I'm going to respond with this. Um, <laughs> that's what I got this. Capital letters and 12 emojis. We we listen so we can have a response. Well, you said that, well, we're going to respond. I don't, I mean, I think people just need to, someone says something, especially that's difficult, man, you got to reward them for that. Like, I think just really, I think we gloss over, like I said something challenging to you. You think I'm a jerk because I said that. It's like, man, I don't want to say that. It was really hard for me to even say. So it's like realizing that, yo, someone just came and in this day and age, like when we, like, I don't know, we call our generation like the last generation that played outside. <laughs> Without helmets on. Yeah. But I mean, we like, you know, like this generation is just like, you know, they they do so much of this that they they, they can't, they think any type of confrontation is negative. They, 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 they just view like, if I'm talking to you this way, it's, it's hard. Um, but I think we, I think, um, we need to have more of those interactions, but really it's just stop listening to respond. Like when someone tells you something that's difficult, just sit back and think about like, yo, like what are they saying? I try to repeat that stuff in my head a little bit. And then yeah. I try to let them know, like, I hear what you're saying, but not saying I hear what you're saying. I try to say it back to them. Um, and I said, you know, so what you're really saying is like, you feel like da 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 da. And they're like, yeah. So that makes you feel blah, 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 blah. You know, and I think that, people operate we're creatures we're like organisms like we're like we're not like uh, rigid we're we want community we want to be understood and felt there's feelings i don't feel good about this person so feelings really matter that's why filmmaking is so impactful for me we're trying yeah. to produce a feeling not like a result um and trying uh, to get that uh, emotion yeah. out, out of the audience and yeah. uh, and i tell you you must be be, you must be challenging our audience. You're getting the emotion. We have a LinkedIn user. I, I, we didn't get a name on this one. Here, here. So, I mean, you you, you must be actually driving these uh, these responses. You're, you're challenging their thought. We have uh, Mohammed from uh, uh, saying, thank you very much, sir. So you are definitely getting thanked right you know yeah. people are uh, appreciating what 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 you're saying so yeah. um, hey i mean i re i appreciate that i mean i really feel like people just need to focus put your phone down make on make eye contact make mm -hmm. a moment like and i think you listen to people that people have people have feelings and they're trying to communicate them and that in this day and age that could be very difficult and so i think if you really listen to understand you will like in this country so divided, but man, there's actually so much that we probably agree on if we just weren't on social media, on Facebook, arguing about it. If I'm a parent, if I'm a parent and you're a parent, we both want our kids to be safe. We're gonna agree on so much stuff like that, but I think the platforms make us so divided, but I really think that we need to kind of just slow down, stop responding and start to think about what is the other person trying to say? And then also my favorite one is, how much of your time do you want to waste? Because if you just keep responding back and forth, get ready to waste all of your time. If you actually want to move this thing forward, hear what they're saying. 
right, and, right. And, and talk to them like you hear what they're saying, even if you don't agree with them. Yeah, you know. So I think that's been a. a it's I'm not perfect at it, um, but I think um, that's what I think we need more of. And I think we just need more face to face. And I think that's the scary part of social. Um, social produces a lot of beautiful things. Like my wife has somebody that she met in Mexico and they're really great friends. They talk about kids. up. that's like, she would never had that relationship, but I think there's also a lot of evil on social uh, media as well. And, um, and I think um, one of them is we think anytime we talk to each other about anything challenging, that's like bad. And, the, and we shouldn't have any of this negative energy. No, there, they're like, you should really think about the people in your life that are telling you something challenging. You don't have a lot of those people in your lives. That's important. Right. Keep those people. <laughs> um, don't, don't shun those people. They had the courage to tell you something about yourself. You need them. You don't need to exile them. And I think social media were just like unfollow exile. You don't agree with me. <laughs> you're going to, you're going to get us in trouble because that conversation by itself is going to make us go for another hour, but unfortunately, <laughs> we are running out of time and stuff is starting to pop up. So, so, so Joshua, when will we get the final product from uh, Fun Black Tech? And, and how can my audience, how can our audience learn more about this uh, clearly fascinating topic? Well, I'm super excited about it. Fun Black Tech is about the tech space, but it's also just about culture. So mm -hmm. I feel like if you don't know tech or like tech or know it, you will like this. It's so entertaining. We're about to drop the first trailer for Fun Black Tech. I want to say that's going to be in a couple weeks here. I don't even know if I should be saying that, but I think it's gonna, I think it will be. <laughs> we won't tell. Don't worry. Right. It's just between the three just of us. Um, but um, I think we're going to drop it in a couple weeks. So I think just uh, we're obviously going to, if you're following Kevin, uh, I think uh, just, you know, he's obviously going to be tagged in it. You're in the trailer. Your part is fantastic. And I, then I think you're going to start to see uh, different episodes roll out. So uh, the first thing is like, check the website and check um, social media. We're going to put the trailer there first. Um, and I think everyone will be pretty happy with how uh, this thing is coming out. Wow. I can't, I can't wait. Same. But um, on that note, uh, I think we're going to have to uh, have, a, have you back for a part two, Josh. Anytime. <laughs> Thank you, Joshua. We appreciate your time today. Thank you guys so much. I really appreciate that. Thank you guys. Yeah. And on that note, please just check out the wide variety of industry thought leadership that we have at supplychainnow.com. You can find us wherever you get your podcast. And on behalf of the entire team here at Supply Chain Now, this is Kevin L. Jackson and Kelly Barner wishing all of our listeners a bright and transformational future. We'll see you next time on Digital Transformers and Dial P for Procurement. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at SupplyChainNow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now.